Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Winter cereal planting is continuing apace this week, albeit growers are grabbing every chance to have through the bands of rain every two to three days. Last year, BYDV was a problem on many farms. Not only farms with early sown crops, but later sown crops in the south of the country were also badly affected. It's important to understand when crops are most at risk and the best strategies to deal with this threat. And with this in mind, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Louise McNamara, an entomologist from Oak Park, who will chat about the threat posed by aphids this year. Louise, you might just first give us an idea about the potential damage BYDV can have on different crops, and if there's a difference between the risk in different parts of the country. Yeah, so the risk would depend on a number of things. So it depends on how early the crop was planted, how early the crop was infected, and then which strain of the virus the crop is infected with. So there's 11 strains of the virus with different levels of severity. So damage in cereals can cause up to 80% loss with very severe infections, but probably an average around 30%. Um, it can cause yield decreases above two tons per hectare in wheat and oats and up to five tons per hectare in winter barley. Um, the risk will be different between different years and different locations, as well as on a local scale between fields. And why we see, I suppose, a different risk in different years is very based on temperature and um, different locations is also related to kind of climate. So if you're near the coast, and um, you're a higher risk because there's it's milder, there's less frost, and the aphids can are more likely to survive, giving you more BYDV. There's nothing simple about it, then, Louise. Um, no. with, with, with all those computations, it's a it's a pretty tricky one to, to try and figure out. But if we were to look at 2022, uh, you know, the last few weeks, I suppose since the playing match kind of finished up, it's been kind of raining on and off, uh, with some heavy rain on and off which is very different to 2021. How much of a difference do you think that'll have in terms of aphids, you know, for the, for the coming season? So aphid numbers this year, migratory aphids, so those are aphids that are flying uh, long distance. The numbers are lower this year, and um, probably for several different reasons, but we know that aphid flight is affected by temperature, it's affected by wind, and it's affected by rain. And um, rainfall, we know that it negatively affects aphid flight. So yes, when there is heavy rainfall, um, you get less aphid flight. Okay, and obviously then the aphids, for the most part, would it be right in saying, probably need to need to fly into the crop before damage can happen? Or is there a chance there's some aphids could be there already? So yeah, aphids get into the crop in a number of ways. So they can have long distance migration, which we pick up in our 12.2 meter towers they can also have local migration so they can fly or even walk between fields and um, they could be in the field already um, depending on what the previous crop was depending on if there's volunteers or weeds if you have grass nearby uh, grain aphids are often found in grass very commonly so depending on what's nearby they may only have to walk into the crop so they can come in both through flying and through walking and they may also be there depending on what the previous leaves was in the field in um, True Greenbridge. Okay, so the risk the risk is ever present, I suppose, is really what yes. you're saying. Given the fact, especially, I suppose, the point that I took took from that is if you're if you're close to grass, and I I would guess there's hardly a field out there that wouldn't be too far away from grass of one sort or another. Yeah, so different aphids have different uh, host crops. So uh, grass is associated with green aphids, maize is associated with bird cherry oak aphids. So depending on what's nearby, 
uh, can affect what you get in your field. Okay. And how long does it take for, so an aphid flies in today, let's just say, and he's uh, sitting in the crop nice and pretty, or she, I should say, maybe sitting in the crop nice and pretty, and um, it can be jumping around. How long does it take for the damage or for the virus, if you like, to get into the plant? Is it instantaneous or is it, is it a bit more longer term? Uh, so depending on the type of virus, the different strains of the virus and the different species of aphids, it takes different amounts of time. They're all slightly different. But I suppose the general rule for BYDV would be that it would take maybe hours, possibly days, but probably a few hours um, if it spend most of their lives feeding anyway. So um, it takes probably a number of hours for it to pass from the aphid into the crop. OK, so so a little aphid could jump in, spend a couple of hours holiday in one particular site, then decide, oh, I think I'll go off somewhere else and jump around to the next one holiday somewhere else in another one and be doing damage between one and the other. So I suppose really the question then is, is there anything that can, as in a beneficial, that can intercept that aphid that's, that, that we know is actually doing good work in that kind of process that, that, that can actually stop that aphid from going any further? So aphids have lots of natural enemies and they have ones that are kind of general, like um, beetles or spiders, and then they have more specific natural enemies. So the general ones would kind of be present just in generally around, so things like beetles and spiders, and then they have more specific uh, predators that only appear in the field when aphid numbers are high because they're attracted by by the aphids. Uh, so uh, the, the natural enemies that are active in autumn and winter, which is relevant now, would be ground beetles, spiders, and parasitoids, although parasitoids are sensitive to frost, so they'll only be active really in mild um, winter weather. So yes, there is natural enemies um, that can keep aphid levels uh, lower, and they certainly, natural enemies consume lots of, lots of aphids. But the challenge for us is that we have no threshold, so we don't know how many aphids you need to kill or how many aphids in a crop is a risk. So it's not that we can count the aphids left and see if our natural enemies have done the job. But natural enemies are always feeding on aphids and helping us. Mm. So, so, so they're always a good thing, but would yes. it be right in saying that they're, they're, they're kind of keeping the background levels in check more so than this immediate, you know, uh, damage is going to be done in two hours or four hours or two days. They're not really going to react quick enough to, to help us in that context. Yeah, so the, I suppose their natural enemies are always, yeah, keeping aphid levels below a certain amount. But some of them are only attracted when there's lots of aphids. So the, there's already lots of aphids there by the time they come in because they're attracted by the aphids themselves. I remember we, we we chatted before, and I've heard you saying it before, that if you have straw on the ground, as in maybe a, a non-plow type situation, mint or that kind of stuff, that, um, that can deter aphids from flying into the crop, which is obviously a good thing. But I suppose maybe the question is, um, how much do you need? Is is the stubble good enough? Or um, in, in, in the case where you have lots of people out there, lots, certainly more people out there um, who are straw chopping and there's probably an awful lot of straw on the ground. Is there is there a certain level that's required or do we know? I don't think we know like a certain level of how much straw or stubble you need. I guess there's trends or patterns we can talk about. So we know from previous work done in Chagas, um, several different studies by Tom Kennedy that uh, mintil cereals sown at the same time as conventional cereals in um have a lower risk of aphid infestation and BYDV, but that doesn't always translate significantly to yield. So while you might significantly reduce aphids and BYDV, it's not always consistent for then improving yield. 
um, the effect is made stronger when straw was added or incorporated as well as the mint till. So it made the mint till uh, give a stronger response when straw was incorporated. But I can't say an exact amount of stubble or exact amount of straw. It's just a pattern that it would have less BYDV because if there's less of a contrast between the soil and the crop, it's harder for the aphid to land. Um, but okay. it doesn't always translate significantly to yield is the only thing. So if so, if a, if a field is ploughed, it pretty much, well, hopefully if the plough is unreasonably well, it probably will have no straw on the surface, uh, which is worse, I suppose, than uh, a scenario where it's min-till uh, or some sort of non-inversion type scenario where you have some on the surface and that helps to detract it. That's as far as we can go at the moment. Yeah, well, yeah. So if you think of a, a nicely powered field or whatever and the, the ceilings are emerging, there's a big contrast there between the green and the, the dirt, basically, and it's easier for them to land um, than if there was stuff on the ground. But I guess the flip side of that is is that where you have maybe um, no till or, or, or lower till or things like that, you might have more volunteers or more stubble, which the aphids can also live on which you can cause green bridge. So there's two sides to the story. Uh, okay. So speaking of the, of the aphids coming, uh, being, being able to identify um, the, the, their, you know, the, the, the emerging plant or not, um, should farmers be going in trying to identify to see whether there's aphids there in the first place? It's, I suppose it's always good practice to be checking your crop for pests. Um, it's good for different reasons. One, um because disease pressure does vary with different locations and different fields. So when we give advice, it is general advice, but you kind of have to know your own field and your own pressure. It's also important because if you do apply a treatment to know if there's spray failure, you need to be monitoring your crop. Um, and you can monitor your crop in different ways. You can do it visually. Um, you can literally walk the crop and use a paintbrush to pick up. Obviously, if it's a very small, so you can run your paintbrush along the plant and um put on your hand and, and you can use a lens or something like that to see if it's an aphid or you can use traps you can use sticky traps or water bowls so there's different ways of looking for aphids but the challenge is that there's no thresholds in place so you know we can't say that a certain number of aphids is a risk we have to take it that the presence of any aphids is a risk because we don't know what number um, of aphids is a problem and we also don't know when we look at aphids with our eye if they're carrying virus or not and and you were telling me earlier today about a field that you were trying to do some experiments on then in Cork, whereby that particular field had a very, very low rate of BYDV in it, but it was up on a slight bit of a hill and you could look all around it and you could see BYDV in lots of fields around it. So there was something peculiar about that field that, um, you know, aphids didn't like or the climatic conditions, but they didn't go into it nonetheless. So in that circumstances, um, an aphicide probably wasn't needed. Would that be true? In terms of that field, so essentially we're talking about autumn uh, 2021. We had trials planted in Oak Park and Carlow and trials planted in Cork. And from our previous work, uh, statistically, you know, it's not that it's Cork, but, um, you know, more coastal regions are higher risk. So the Cork site would have been a higher risk site in theory. And generally that is what you see. But... The season we just had, everybody knows that there was BYDV pressure. Our trial in Carlo had significant levels um, of BYDV, while our trial in Cork was had no BYDV. And as you say, when you looked around the other fields around that you could see from that field, the other fields had BYDV. And potentially what it was, was it was on a slight hill. Now we've had trials on hills before that had loads of BYDV, but it could have been as simple as 
the angle of the slope versus uh, the wind direction. So that's why it's important to kind of look at your own field as well, because while I can say in general, certain sites are higher risk or lower risk, there's also field to field variation. So crops this year in general that, that are sown, at least to date anyway, um, probably fall into two, two categories for the most part. Um, crops that are probably above the ground now at this stage, maybe one to two leaf stage. And those who are that are either gone in in the last three or four days or just going in in the next three or four days. So what would be the strategy you would suggest for both of those crops, assuming let's just assume that the farmer goes in and there are a number of aphids uh, or potentially a number of aphids in those crops? Yeah, so it's same advice we would have given um, in the past and has held up in our trials for numbers of years is that generally if the crop is planted early and so if you would give it a source early maybe like mid-September and you would give it a spray at the two to three leaf stage and again in early November if the crop was planted probably the last few days in in September early October anyone planting now and it would only need one spray in early November and then anything emerging later or planted later generally doesn't need a spray um, unless it's a very high pressure year or a very high risk of site and that's all tied to temperature because the idea is that traditionally it gets colder from November onwards so if your crop is exposed to aphids um, for a period of time before then when aphids are still active your crop's more at risk if your crop's emerging after the the start of November and um, the idea is aphids aren't active because it's colder so they don't need to be sprayed so it's all about how long the crops are exposed to aphid pressure okay. and we know looking at like last year it was warmer for longer so the pressure went on for longer and speaking of being warmer and colder there's an app out there that 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 um essentially works on degree days uh so it clocks it up over time and gives a recommendation to to a, a put an insecticide on after a certain threshold is reached, is that any better than what we what than 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 the advice I suppose we're given out at the moment, which is probably as much around sowing date as it is around kind of degree days. The model you're talking about, the wrap you're talking about, is based on yeah degree days, and that is a way of looking at temperature to know how quickly aphids will um reproduce. So the warmer it is, the quicker aphids will reproduce. And the idea is if your aphids lands in the crop when the crop is emerged and you follow the degree days after that, you're looking for when the aphids are going to reproduce again and then you would spray because there's pressure there. Um, generally, you reach 170 degree days around the time we would say to spray anyway. Um, so it, it's good in that it helps you understand why we choose to spray when we do it's based on temperature the one challenge of those models is it only looks at temperature but we also know that wind and rain also affect um, aphid pressure and we know that all aphids aren't carrying virus so we're doing a new project um, called the aid project in collaboration with adis and harper's adams and we're looking at new decision support tools that bring in more things into the model not just temperature so we can be more accurate in our predictions. Okay. How far off do you think, uh, Louise, it'll be before that decision support system will be available for farmers? So the aid project is a four-year project um, and it started this year, um, this autumn. So it would be tested across the four years, across multiple sites. Um, and then we'll be able to say if that gives us 
better information than what we currently have. Just two more questions for a, for you, um, Louise. One is around insecticide resistance. Are we worried about it with the normal um, uh, insecticides, pre-thrive insecticides that we're using? And maybe finally, you might have a final word on transform, which is um, uh, an insecticide that was only uh, approved for use last year, but this is the final year it can be used uh, anyway. So you might just maybe have a word about that in terms of if there's any of it. I suppose, left in stock for farmers. Yeah, so in terms of insecticide-resistant pyrethroids, we're interested in the grain aphid for that because we've done other work to show that it isn't present in the one of the other main vectors, the Bartario aphid. So in the Irish grain aphid, we only currently have partial resistance, which is one copy of the resistance gene. So that means a certain proportion will survive and a certain proportion will be killed. Um, and what we've done is a 50 field survey, which is basically checking the, the levels of resistance in 50 winter barley fields. And that's been done in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2020 and 2021. And we saw variable levels of resistance. So we had 54%, then 25%, 20%, 2% and 35% respectively. So the numbers went up and down across those uh, five years. But I guess it's key to note that grain aphids not the only aphid present in the crop. You have a mixture of cereal aphids and it's it, it ranges in those five years from 2% to 50% um, having resistance. So you're still killing a proportion of the grain aphids that don't have resistance and then it is only partial resistance. So you're still killing a proportion of the resistant population. Okay, so I suppose so. I suppose looking at those figures, I, I suppose when it comes down to it, how well does the normal prethroids, which is you know the likes of karate or uh, supermethrin and some of those, how how well are they doing in terms of you know if you're only going for one application, which hopefully most people are on, will those um, normal um, like say karates or that sumi alphas, will they be sufficiently good enough to to do a job? So um, looking at our last six years of trials um, since resistance has been detected in Ireland, so from 2016 onwards, our trials would say that still on average, uh, pyrethroids are giving control. Um, obviously, that's on average. You know, there's probably some fields that have very high, have high levels of resistance. But in general, yes, they're still giving control. And um, that's something that we'll continue to monitor as we go on. Because as we all know, we had um, seed treatments and transform. So we had transform for a year and we had seed treatments, uh, neonicotinoids before that. Um, so moving on from this season, we'll just have pyrethroids. So we'll have to see how pyrethroids continue to perform when they're the only chemistry available. So we'll we'll keep monitoring that so we can say if there's a change in in their efficacy. And Louise, going back to the transform question, it can only be used uh, for the last time this autumn. You might give us your view as regards how the best way to use that is. Um, so I would say that our trials indicate that both chemistries will give um, control, on, like in general. Uh, and what I would say is if you're early planted and you need two treatments, it's best practice always to alternate chemistry where you can from a resistance point of view. Um, so if you do have to use two chemistries because you've planted early, it's important to note that transform can only be used once in a season. So you could go with your pyrethroid first 
And then if any aphids survived because of resistance issues, etc., you can follow with transform rather than using pyrethroids twice, which isn't ideal. Um, and then if you're just using one chemistry, you can choose between which you would wish to use. Louise, as always, thank you very much for all of that. It's very concise. Uh, certainly, I know you have a huge amount of work going on with these towers and various different resistances, and you have, you have some very good support there with some of your um, PhD students and, and, and others there. I think it's some terrific work going on at the moment, and uh, I, I certainly know that it will result in a much more accurate um, and hopefully maybe the use, the more less use, maybe more targeted use of um of 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 insecticides in the future so listen thanks very much for your time and we will we we will catch up with you again in future thank you so that's it for the tillage edge and my thanks to louise for joining me on the podcast in order to understand the aspects of the podcast which are most appealing and beneficial to you i would greatly appreciate if you could take three to four minutes to complete a survey the details of this are in the podcast notes finally don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague and as always Review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.